Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. I'm not Dr. Pat. If only. I'm Dr. Mary Angela McGuire, and I really appreciate you joining me today. I'm having the opportunity to guest host for Dr. Pat. And Dr. Pat, if you're listening, I hope you're feeling great, and we are so eager to see you back on the air. So my regular gig here at Transformation Talk Radio is as the host of a show called Nothing But Now, noon Pacific time on Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern. And I talk on that show about mindfulness and the challenges and the rewards of incorporating mindfulness into our daily lives. This show is an extension of my work as a life coach. So today is March 15th, also known as the Ides of March. Now before, you can look this up on Wikipedia as I did, before it was associated with the assassination of Julius Caesar, one of the major turning points in Roman history, it was a day for religious observances. In fact, there are four months in the Roman calendar that have Ides, with this, this kind of middle point. And um, it was also a day of religious observances and of paying one's debts. It was a deadline for paying debts. I'm gonna come back to the idea of my debts in just a second. You know, this year, uh, the Ides of March fall after uh, the day where we turn our clocks forward. And um, that's the first time in, my, time in my memory that that day of turning the clocks forward has coincided with my birthday, right? My birthday was yesterday, and it was a big one. I am now fully launched into my seventh decade on the planet. Wow. And it's also uh, the time of year we this year where we are noticing the anniversary of the pandemic, the anniversary of Breonna Taylor's death, the anniversary of Ahmed, Ahmed Aubrey's death. That's a lot. That's a lot in a year that's happened and a lot of kind of moments in these last 24 hours for me personally, but uh, for the larger culture as well of change. Um, and if you're lucky enough to live in the Pacific Northwest as I am, you're seeing spring, signs of spring all around. So it's it's not all sadness, but it is a lot of transformation in a short period of time. Um, and it's got me thinking about uh, what has passed, what is yet to come, and all of that uh, while maintaining my commitment to and my practice of mindfulness. So this Roman practice of paying one's debts on March 15th, or really the 74th day of their calendar, has been on my mind as I worked on today's show, because the work I do as a life coach is the result of some radical changes in my life circumstances. It comes from my encounter with works by Martha Beck, um, and later with uh, the work of Buddhist practitioners such as Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield and Ruth King. And I like to think that I pay that debt that I have to all of them and to the practitioners who preceded them with both my gratitude to them and also with the work I do as a coach. And that's what I hope to do here today is to share what it is that many of my clients bring to me and the work we do together that's informed by Martha Beck's life coach training, which I experienced, and the mindfulness teachings and practices of people like Brock and Cornfield and King. 
Like many of my clients, I've faced more than one major transition in the last 60 years. Um, and some of the recent ones are the ones that actually brought me to Martha Beck's work, as well as that of mindfulness practitioners. So about 12 years ago, I left a job that I had spent a really long time preparing for, uh, earning a PhD in order to be uh, able to get that job, to keep that job. Um, and I left it because the person I loved moved to a new job in a new city. And I wasn't, uh, I, I chose love, I like to say, over career, but it wasn't an easy decision. Um, I suppose we could have had a relationship separated by 500 miles, but I didn't want that. She didn't want that. And um, although she left the decision to me, that's what I ultimately chose. And it was tough. Um, I had a lot of anxiety about it before and after. I felt pretty overwhelmed by that decision because it was in a way inconsistent with the life that I had prepared myself for. And in a way, I would say the family and cultural messages that I had grown up with about independence. Because once I left that job, my financial independence uh, was reduced. Um, just simply, that's simply true. Plus I'd made a decision that I, that I sometimes felt was inconsistent with how I'd been raised. And then almost six years ago, my mother died. Uh, my mother and I were very close. She lived near me. And so the relationship was important to me. But more than that, in a sense, or maybe not more than, but equal to that, um, visiting her, caring for her, uh, helping her manage her life was a significant part of my daily life. So within these last few years, two things that were pillars of my life, a career that I loved and my relationship with my mother were radically altered. And I was searching for a path forward. And that's when I came across uh, Martha Beck's work, which led to the life coach training and uh, really resonated with me and the previous work I had done teaching interpersonal communication to college students. And it fueled my interest in mindfulness, something I was aware of and had actually had taught a little bit of to students, but I'd never really explored in any depth. And so I started to do that. And I created a life coaching business. And I'd like to say that I then lived happily ever after there's just one problem. I'm still human, which brings me to the central idea I want to explore today and one that is always part of my work with clients. And that is to use a, something that's quoted often, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So even after you've been through life coach training and read a whole lot of books about mindfulness and really incorporated those practices into your life, it is still the case that pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. And uh, my understanding of that quote has really changed over these last few years. You know, it's a quote that's sometimes attributed to the Buddha, um, to the Dalai Lama, to one of my favorite writers, um, Haruki Murakami, and to a Canadian politician named M. Kathleen Casey. Honestly, you can find all of those attributions online. Um, and the latter two people, uh, Murakami and Casey, have actually published works that include that language. But in a sense, of course, uh, I don't really care who said it. I'm glad they said it, whoever it was. And I think it's you know, important to notice that um, in terms of attribution, that the idea is very consistent with a lot of things that come out of Buddhist teachings. But what does it mean to say that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional? I think it means that because we are human, we will experience pain. I'm gonna stub my toe. Uh, I'm gonna try and fail. I'm going to lose beloved others. These are inevitable aspects of existence. There is physical pain in those experiences. There is embodied pain. There is psychic pain in these experiences. Suffering, on the other hand, uh, 
is the story we tell ourselves about the pain. Suffering is getting stuck by either pushing the emotions associated with the pain down or being carried away with them, but in one way or another, refusing to let them go. Rick Hansen talks about this as the add-on suffering, because actually Buddhists would say that suffering is inevitable. Um, but this add-on suffering is another way to conceptualize that, to say that we are making choices, sometimes choices that are very much bound by our culture, our family, the way we were raised. We may not even see them as choices, but uh, when we experience pain, the stories we bring to that experience then, and the way that we hold on to the emotion, even if we think we're pushing it away, we know when we do that, it pops back up. Um, the other thing we might do is allow it to carry us away and to feel really overwhelmed by those emotions. But either way, we get somehow stuck in those feelings, the stories we tell ourselves about why the pain happened, who caused the pain, why the pain shouldn't have happened, why it's unfair. Those are the ways in which our mind really works on and takes over what is maybe in a a not um, an important experience, but one that doesn't have to be so um, devastating to us. But the stories we tell ourselves can make it very difficult to do anything about the pain. And But really, from a Buddhist perspective, or what Hansen would say, it's, it's this add-on suffering. So today, we're, we're going to take a break in a minute here, but when uh, we come back, I'm going to explore three particular ways that I, uh, frankly, and my clients create suffering in our lives, and also talk about ways that we can work together to free ourselves from these habits. Um, these things are all interconnected, and they might show up in our lives in a variety of ways. But let's talk about, let's think today about a way to think about um, these uh, things that happen in our life. I would call it the, the habit of feeling judged and of judging, the illusion of control, and the fear of allowing things to unfold. I'm going to talk about it in kind of a linear way, but as I say, they're interconnected. They happen all the time. They get kind of mixed together. But we want to talk about them this way to help us get a hold of them, um, to, to come face to face with them so that we can make changes that we might think are necessary in our lives. So you are listening to The Dr. Pat Show um, on Transformation Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after the break. Are you ready to shift your current beliefs about death from debilitating pain and loss? Follow Angie Corbett Kuiper as she shares that through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind. Anything is possible, even in death. Tune in to Beyond Proof Radio with Angie, redefining death and loss every first Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more, visit BeyondProof.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. 
Mind to Heart with me, Craig Richardson, carves a pathway from your mind to your heart to activate that innate compass to overcome whatever life sends your way. As an intuitive life coach, I am ready to guide you to an amazing life. Tune in live every second and fourth Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about me, visit CraigERichardson.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. Hey, are you loving Shades of Spirit Radio? Well, mark your calendars. Shades of Spirit goes live in a new time spot every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Yeah, you heard that right. Psychic medium genie and spirit walker Nicole. 5 p.m. every Wednesday. Live readings, giveaways, oracle cards, and lots of fun. So be there. Call into the show at 1-800-930-2819 and visit ShadesOfSpirit.com. It's time to shake out your money-making truth on Soul Wisdom Abundance with Jennifer Bloom, creating wealth from spiritual health on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show is more than your roadmap to success. It's your compass to abundance through joy and ease. Jennifer Bloom teaches you about the soul's relationship to money and wealth and how improving that relationship serves both you and the world. Learn more at JenniferBloom.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show on Transformation Talk Radio. I'm Mary Angela McGuire, filling in for Dr. Pat today. And today we're talking about the idea that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And when we say that, what we're talking about is the inevitability of being human, uh, as humans, of suffering pain, whether it's as small as a stubbed toe or the loss of a loved one, whether it's immediate physical sharp pain like a stubbed toe or the kind of psychic pain that comes from a loss. But the suffering comes when we're unable to let go and allow an emotion to move through us um, and when we get really stuck. And what I was mentioning is that um, in my life coaching practice, that's often when people seek out my um, attention and the time is when they feel stuck. And stuckness can happen a whole bunch of different ways. But what I want to talk about today in this idea of the suffering being optional, um, and, I, and I think that's kind of too strong a word. I think suffering is something to which we can bring mindfulness practices so that we are in a position to, to feel as though we are making some choices and to be actually making some choices moment to moment. So I think there are three things that are sort of components of how we um, turn pain into suffering. And the first is the habit of judgment. And it's, I think, the habit of both feeling judged and the habit of judging. And, you know, the first thing I always like to say about judgment is that it's an important human capacity, right? I'm not against judgment in and of itself. Um, judgment is about using critical thinking and reasoning skills. It's about bringing evidence to bear. It's about being able to assess evidence to make good decisions. Um, so judgment is essential, but judgment can get out of control. And I want you, as, as I'm talking today, I hope you're thinking a little bit about how some of these things play out in your own life. And what I notice with clients in our conversations is that when they talk about their desire, for instance, to make change in their life, what often comes up for them is the fear of judgment. I'm worried about uh, what my parents are going to say. I'm concerned that uh, my husband will feel like I'm letting him down. Um, we spend a lot of time in our heads imagining what others think about us, how they'll react to us, 
what they'll say about us. If you try to bring to bear that idea of being a student of your own mind, of really noticing where your mind goes, um, when you start to do that, you start to realize how much of your psychic energy is spent imagining what's happening for other people as it relates to you right? Think of the people in your closest circle and then the people in the circle beyond that, for instance, maybe neighbors or people you work with, and then the kind of wider community. How often do you imagine that you can predict what they're going to say? Or how often do you imagine that when something's happening in your life, that worry place goes to, what will other people think? What will other people say about this? How will they see me? And there's that feeling typically in that imagining of it's very negative, right? That they're going to judge me badly, that they're going to think ill of me, that they're going to, that I'm going to feel embarrassed and humiliated by their judgments. So, you know, it's difficult to get a hold of this habit of judgment. First, because judgment's important. It's good to have that capacity, right? Reasoning, evidence, critical thinking, but also because it, we are so saturated in our culture with judgment. Um, it's, um, and, and that's really the second part of that challenge. We're just, uh, think about things like parenting. Um, I'm not a parent, and so I haven't had this experience, but I really come to this as an observer and as a person who has a lot of friends and relatives who are parents. And, and so maybe being a little bit outside of it has helped me see this. And sometimes I don't know how, I don't know how parents do it because it's essentially an industry in our culture of people telling people what they're doing wrong as parents. There are television shows and books, right? There are podcasts and um, seminars you could go to and retreats and neighbors and family and people at work and strangers on the bus, right? All of us somehow feel that well, it's okay for us to pass judgment on the way other people are parenting. And so it's no wonder that it's incredibly difficult, sort of psychically draining for people to be parents right now because we're so saturated in judgment. But, you know, it didn't start in the modern age. Um, this idea of working, being at work, being in a social circle, being a family, and that feeling not only that there is judgment, but, you know, the, the companion of judgment really, I think, is surveillance, feeling constantly watched and observed. And I think that's a, that, too, is increasingly pervasive in our society because, of course, we carry small computers, uh, powerful computers in our pocket, and there is a way in which there's surveillance in our daily lives at a pretty high level compared to, say, previous eras. But, but I don't think the feeling of being judged and watched is new, right? I grew up in a large family. There was a lot of feeling of surveillance. Maybe you're an only child. Maybe that gives you a very high level of feeling of surveillance in your family because you're the only person who's sort of the, uh, whose parent, whose attention your parents have. Right. There can be so many different ways in which uh, our lives can be pervaded by feelings of judgment. Um, and I think about it in my own family uh, and I kind of want to make this turn about it. it's about feeling judged, but it's also about judging. And that can be that really tricky place. I didn't realize this until I was a grown up, but my mother was, my parents were divorced when I was very young. And my mother went through the rest of her life feeling judged. Um, there were people in her life, friends and a lot of family that she never saw anything that they did except through the lens of their judgment about her being divorced. It was really, um, it was just really a frame, a uh, veil that, through which she saw the rest of the world for, for a very long time. And I thought that was, uh, it was very painful to her. Of course, it caused suffering. Um, it wasn't just the pain of the divorce, 
right? But the story she brought to that of others thinking ill of her because of it was then the cause of her suffering, I would say. Um, and what I realized then as a grown up is that because of the way she was raised, I think that she assumed other people were judging her so badly because she was raised to judge people who divorced badly, right? She knew what she would have thought of others if it had happened to them. And so she couldn't let go or imagine that anyone wouldn't see her the same way. So when we become students of our own mind and have a deeper um, engagement with where our mind goes, we can start to notice the ways in which we are consumed and concerned about other people judging us. And ideally, we can start to become more aware of the ways in which we are judging others. Um, and you know, um, we have to ask ourselves, or we can ask ourselves, what would happen if we started to notice which judgments are actually of no value to us, right? That they don't promote our happiness, and then can we let them go? Would we feel disarmed, right? Are we judging others in order to maintain our sense that at least we're better, nicer, happier, prettier, skinnier, kinder, smarter, et cetera, et cetera, than somebody else? So the judgment uh, habit is a deep one. Um, it, as I say, it has some good qualities to it. We know that um, being um, a reasonable adult, right, a good citizen, a, a good person can come from making good judgments, but it is that mindless habit of going through the day. Um, and I like to encourage clients to do this sometime, try to get through a day without making those kind of uh, meaningless judgments about everything you see, good or bad. Right? You're walking down the street and you see a tree in bloom. Can you just say that's a tree in bloom or do you have to say that's a beautiful tree? Can you see a house with the, the porch messed up and say that's a house with the porch messed up or you have to say that is a falling down piece of junk, right? Trying to become aware of all of those places because they add up and they become such an ingrained habit that we can't sort of move through the world in the absence of these automatic judgments. And there's real value in letting them go. Um, and because it's, um, we'll come back to why that is, because it has everything to do with our ability to have compassion for ourselves and others. But the first step often is to let go of that habit of judgment. So we're gonna, when we come back from the break, we're gonna talk about the, what the habit of judgment leads to, which is the need for and the illusion of control in our lives. We think that we can make ourselves in a way judgment proof, and that's the illusion of control. So you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show on Transformation Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after the break. When you lose a child, you find yourself part of a club that you never chose to join. There is a way to find meaning and joy in your life again. Jen Ripa has created a six-week sacred grief system, helping you let go of grief, heal with compassion, and understand what's available to you in the rest of your life. It can feel scary acknowledging that a part of you wants to move forward because you're not sure how to do it in a way that honors your child. The good news is that when you allow yourself to address your grief in a multi-sensory way, you can transition from sadness, regret, and hopelessness into a life that gives you peace, joy, and meaning. Jennifer understands with deep compassion how you're feeling because she's been there. For more information about the Sacred Grief Course, visit Thriveology.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-O-L-O-G-I-E dot com. Caring for someone with a life-altering diagnosis? You are a care hero. Navigating the unfamiliar options can be overwhelming, but you are not alone. 
Tune in to A Cup of Comfort with me, Trish Lau, twice monthly on Transformation Talk Radio. Let me guide you through your care hero journey by providing actionable information on how to care for a loved one in need. For more information about me, visit trishlaub.com. That's trishlaub, L-A-U-B as in boy, dot com. Did you know that when we talk about the Earth's ecosystems, the most important ecosystem has been left out? You, we created the ecosystem approach to recapture human potential. Find us at theecosystemapproach.org. Join us every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the Ecosystem Approach Show with Jason and Patricia on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn how to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles shares stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Are you ready to shift your life into overdrive and stop wasting your time? If so, then I want to invite you right now to the Body Regeneration Online Academy with me, Tracy L. In a world filled with so much information, you can get overloaded and confused, left feeling like you've tried everything and still no results. If this is you, then this platform is for you to help you step into your power, your intuition, and gain clarity. You will learn simple tools that you can use as you walk down the street, and I will teach you how to grow a stronger connection to the God consciousness. Imagine having me as your coach, shifting you, uplifting you, empowering you every week, and most of all, helping you stay connected so you can navigate your life's journey with ease and grace. Nothing will be able to get in your way. Plus, you will have a community filled with souls just like you to pick you up when you fall down and support you on your wins. No one can go this journey alone. If you are ready for your live activations, check me out at tracylclark.com and join the TLC Body Regeneration Online Academy now. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. I'm Mary Angela McGuire filling in for Dr. Pat today. And today we're talking about pain versus suffering. Pain, they say, is inevitable, and that makes sense to me because I'm human, and it's just going to happen. But the suffering is what Rick Hansen calls add-on suffering. It's the story we bring to our pain that allows it to fester and grow sometimes, um, and that makes us feel sometimes that we are trapped because we are trapped in the stories we tell ourselves <clears throat> about the things in our lives that perhaps have caused pain for us. So one of the ways that we get trapped is in the habit of judgment. So the habit of judgment can be what we bring to pain that is then um, a story that helps us stay stuck. So when we are in that habit of judgment, it can be both that feeling of surveillance that we feel that we're constantly being judged. And so whatever pain we're suffering in our life, uh, I think about this in terms of my mother, how hard it was for her to um, get past the pain of her divorce because she felt so judged by that because she brought the story that everyone was judging her to that. But one of the things I realized, and I think she came to realize later in life too, is that she too was in the habit of judging others. And that's sometimes why we feel judged 
because we know we, we sit in the judgment seat ourselves. And so we think if we're going to do it, chances are others are doing it to us. And so then how do you ever let go of that? If you feel that your judgment, your habit is kind of a defense mechanism um, and keeps you safe somehow. So that's a habit of mind that we can bring to conscious awareness, because if we don't, one of the ways that we try to address that feeling of being judged all the time is to be in control, right? You think about your own life. What are the ways in which you try to be in control of your daily life, right? Um, I think about, well, and, and why do we do it? And I think that doing it is uh, sometimes motivated by trying to do something like error-proof our life. And why would we want to do that? Well, because we don't want to be judged. We want to be above reproach. We want to be above suspicion. And I think that freezing of above, you know, something like approach or suspicion is in a sense above other people, above other people's judgments, right? I want to be in a place where they can't judge me, who, whoever they may be, uh, family, friends, the general public, uh, strangers on Twitter or Facebook, et cetera, right? So when do we try to control? What do we try to control? Well, we try to control our environment, right? We try to uh, make conscious choices about where we live so that we are in control of our environment. We try to make, we try to control our appearance. Um, all of our choices about food or work or exercise, what we read or watch, uh, all of the things that we consume in our lives, both uh, through our mouth and through our eyes and ears. And then we also try to control other people. We try to control things that are in fact beyond our control. Other people, circumstances, the weather. Always think about complaining about the weather as kind of an example of trying to control the weather. It's not as though we really think we can control it with the complaining, but you have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the complaining, right? Because it is the weather and there's nothing we can do about it. Not climate change aside, but you know, sort of day in, day out. So again, control like judgment isn't all bad, right? Control can be about establishing personal boundaries. Um, it can show us that we can make choices. And making choices is a key to mindfulness. You know, becoming a student of our own mind, really knowing where my mind goes, um, allows me to redirect my energy, redirect my thinking. And so choice is very important, um, but control is a little bit different from that. Because the challenge is that just by making a choice doesn't guarantee an outcome, right? I can control my choices, but I can't control the outcome of those choices or the outcome, especially as it re relates to other people. And that's really hard to accept, right? Because you can be a fantastic parent, an engaged parent, a loving parent, and your child will still experience unhappiness some, at some point in his or her life. Uh, you can be great at your job, right? You can get incredible performance evaluations. You can still be criticized by your boss. You can exercise and eat right, whatever that has come to mean, and you can still get a cancer diagnosis. So I can make a lot of great choices that look like, in a sense, control, and I can still be judged by others. There can still be negative outcomes. I can still experience pain. But if I think I can control everything, then what I bring to that inevitable pain is the story, which now becomes the suffering. Why did this fail? Why, I just need to control it more, right? Instead of saying, oh, control is an illusion, we cling tighter. We try harder to, to control everything around us when things seem to not be going the way we think they ought to go. And that's a really key phrase, that kind of idea of how things ought to be. 
So becoming aware of the illusion of control is very scary because it's the acceptance of the idea of impermanence. That even regardless of the choices I make, I can, no, I can neither control the outcome in all circumstances, nor can I change the fact that everything is impermanent. Right. No matter how much I loved my mother and how much I took care of her, um, how much we repaired our relationship over the course of her life and my life, she still died. And that was inevitable from the beginning. Right. Um, she thought she was a terrific wife. She worked really hard at it, being a wife and mother, and yet her children still experienced pain and um, her husband left. Right. You we can do a lot of great things, but things will change. Um, and sometimes for the worse, and sometimes it looks worse and then it's better, right? All those kinds of things happen. So it's the coming to terms with the idea that we cannot always be in control. And in fact, rarely are that for the most part, control is an illusion. But the third thing that I wanna mention, so this habit of judgment, this illusion of control, and that illusion of control that is a kind of barrier to accepting reality. And uh, we really struggle um, as a result of that habit of judgment, that illusion of control, we struggle to accept reality because we then struggle to risk allowing things to simply unfold, right? We get frustrated and angry and impatient with other people because we just need them to change a little bit. If they would just do that, then everything would be okay. Um, we say, I don't, I don't ask for a lot. I just need my mother, my friend, my child to stop doing X or Y. We tell ourselves, I know I should accept her the way she is. Um, just accept that this is who she is. But it's hard to do. I say, I just can't do it. Because we ought to be able to have this kind of relationship, right? It shouldn't be so difficult. It's obvious how things should go. Um, so all of that language about how things ought to be, how they should be, how other people ought to be and should be, all of that is our fighting reality. And I think it's always important when we talk about the challenge with reality to talk about the difference between acceptance and agreement. Because sometimes when people think about this, they, they think if, I, if I'm just in a mode of acceptance, that means that I am telling people that everything they're doing is okay and that I'm agreeing with them. And that's just not what this means. Um, so I was uh, working with someone recently where this became really evident, uh, a person who has a, a very difficult boss. And uh, we were talking about what would it mean to go into meetings with this person, um, accepting that she may be difficult in her behavior, right? She might be abrupt. She might be quite negative, right? The person's struggling not to judge the other person's behavior, but we talked about how do you just describe it, that this is who she is, right? That's just acceptance. Does that mean I agree? Not necessarily, but when I'm not in an accepting mode, then I'm in a mentally fighting mode, right? I'm, and, and my client was noticing this, that when she was not in an accepting mode with her boss, what she was doing was mentally criticizing her. She was just saying all that stuff about how she shouldn't be this way. She ought to do things differently, right? So she was telling herself this very elaborate story about why her boss was wrong. She was also kind of putting on some armor to protect herself from what she considered to be her boss's kind of abrupt, sometimes rude behavior, but it hurt her feelings, right? So she's in this kind of really riled up place internally, worrying about the way her boss is going to act. And then she tried going into the meetings more of accepting, saying, this is who she is. And the challenge of that is to not put on the armor to say, okay, this is who she is, so I better be prepared. 
but to be more open, you know, so I keep doing this with my hands, like opening up, being, being somewhat vulnerable and also not being so convinced of who the boss is going to be and how she's going to be that you don't leave any room for her to change, but to sit there with what Jonathan Faust calls non-judging awareness, just which is at the heart of acceptance. I, I don't have to judge the boss's behavior. I can just be aware of it. I can notice it. I can observe it. I can be the witness to it. And when I do that, and I'm more in that observational mode, then I, and I'm not caught up in my stories about why the boss is wrong, lo and behold, I am calmer. And I'm actually better able to speak my truth, which is what my client noticed, be able to really say what she thought in the meeting without running all that kind of uh, script in her head about how things were going to go. And also, and it really is true, it does change the energetic dynamic between people. When I don't sit there in a mode of judgment towards the other person, whether they may not know it on a conscious level, but they feel it. They notice the tension is not there in my body. My face hasn't turned red. Perhaps my eyes aren't squinting, right? I'm not in that judging place. I'm not trying to control the outcome and I'm in a place of acceptance. So when we come back from the break, we're gonna talk about some much more specific practices of things that you can be doing in the course of your day to become a student of your own mind, to be in a calm and peaceful place, um, and to move towards what is really at the heart of all of this and essential for all of this kind of awareness and mindfulness, which is self-compassion. So we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to The Dr. Pat Show on Transformation Talk Radio. You know, marriage is not always easy, but skills that improve communication go a long way. Tune in to The Relationship Rehab Show, Recovering Happiness in Your Love with Nancy Landrum and Dr. Pat each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Nancy is an author and teacher empowering couples to create and sustain loving marriages. Learn to listen, speak, and handle conflict with respect so your love can flourish. To learn more about Nancy and her work, visit NancyLandrum.com. Imagine you are a ball of steel, smooth, small, and cool to the touch. Your life will soften you with fire. You will take hits that shape you. You will be forged into a powerful, purposeful work of art. Tune in to Forging a Life with Coach Christine Clark. Join in Dr. Pat Basile in a three-part series, Truths in the Creation of Katana, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Christine Clark, a gifted, engaging speaker and trainer who has forged her life in the fires of self-employment, will take you on a journey to exploring the internal, mental, and emotional blocks that stand between us and a life of significance through an analogy of the process of crafting a traditional Japanese sword or katana. For more information about Christine, visit sunglowtransformation.com. Has your kindness been used against you? Are you ready to clear the confusion and reconnect with your power? Then it's time to become toxic person proof. Join toxic relationship specialist, Sarah K. Ramsey, as she gives you the secrets to rebuilding and rebranding your life after a toxic person encounter. It's time to get past the past, get real about the present and get serious about your future. For more information, visit sarahkramsey.com. How many times do you find yourself saying it was nothing or just doing my job when really you knocked it out of the park? How did you get like this? Next time someone tells you great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. 
Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one -on -one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self and how far you can go by being more you. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. I'm Dr. Mary Angela McGuire, co or sub, what am I doing? Guest hosting today for Dr. Pat. And I uh, really appreciate you being here with me. We're talking today about the inevitability of pain, but the optional uh, add-on, which is suffering. And what it is that uh, happens to us when we experience pain and then we bring our stories to that pain and that results in suffering. So um, just by being human, we're inevitably going to experience various kinds of pain throughout the course of our life. Um, as they say, it is inevitable. But when we, then we wanna ask ourselves, what happens next? Because there are of course feelings, uh, physical feelings, emotions, psychic kind of um, damage that happens when we have a painful experience. But are we going to hold on to the pain, uh, let it carry us away, or try to stuff it down, which only kind of fuels it and allows it to fester? And what's happening when we're doing that? And what uh, somebody like Rick Hansen would say in this add-on suffering is, we're bringing stories to the pain that then results in suffering. And that we've been talking today about three different ways in which that really happens. Um, and these three things are kind of a, a progression. So we tend to be judgers. Um, we might be a person who says, oh, I'm very non-judgmental. And it may be true about you, but if you start to really notice your habits of mind throughout the course of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're like most people, there is a habit all of the time of judging of just have feeling like you have to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to everything you see, everything we encounter, um, fueled in some ways, of course, by now by social media, but really um, something that most of us are raised with, which is the habit of judgment um, and the habit of noticing that you are being judged such that you may then kind of develop this illusion of control. If I can control everything about myself and my environment and the people around me, then I can be above other people judgment um, and then that will make me somehow feel secure and safe but the reality is that um, we can't control outcomes we can make choices but we can't control outcomes such that really that was what makes illusion uh, control an illusion and the idea that everything is changing that impermanence too is a fact of life kind of like pain um, it's inevitable and as a result even if uh, something it goes well, uh, make a choice, we like the outcome, it's still gonna change and transform, right? Those beautiful flowers that I planted in a pot the other day, uh, they made it through the really cold night, but you know, by next fall, if they haven't died already, they're gonna die. Um, so that impermanence is part of it, and uh, it is accepting that that can be so difficult. And because we struggle to accept the fact that we can't control outcomes, we really are fighting reality. We are not in a place where we are accepting the idea that um, that that reality is is there in front of us, and that to bring a sense of acceptance to that is to take us out of that habit of judgment 
out of that kind of grasping need for control and to just take it at face value as what it is right in front of us without having to bring all of those stories to bear on it. And when we can do that, we're in a more peaceful place. So what are some ways in which you can become a student of your own mind to get to that more peaceful place? The first one is really breathing exercises. And I think this is extremely helpful before you go into what might be a stressful situation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I mean any kind of situation that you might experience as the slightest bit stressful. So it's maybe as soon as you wake up in the morning, right? Just getting out into your day. Um, maybe it's driving that causes stress. Maybe it's going to meetings. Maybe it's interacting with uh, the neighbors. Maybe it's interacting with your children. It doesn't really matter. There are all kinds of breathing exercises you can find online. People like Lori Cameron or Dr. Um, Andrew Wheel have great videos online of breathing exercises. They take usually less than a minute, and it's a way to bring focus and calm and to really notice where your mind is going and bring yourself into a more peaceful place. Um, mindfulness practices throughout the day, though, can be extremely helpful. And um, especially, I think, you know, we all tend to tell ourselves we're too busy to sit down and meditate for 30 minutes. Now, I think that's a great thing to do. But if you're not going to do that, at least bring a kind of mindfulness practice to something that's routine that you do anyway. You know, it's the making the bed to make the bed. I make the bed, turning my attention to nothing but the experience of making the bed because it quiets my mind at only briefly. And in quieting my mind, it's you know kind of an illusion. I'm trying to be quiet, but I know that my mind is going to wander. And that's where I can start to notice, oh, when does my mind wander to judgment? When does my mind wander to control? When is my mind wandering to ways in which I am finding reality and struggling to accept things as they are? So that's the reason that those mindfulness practices can be so helpful. Another practice that I think I'd like to, I'd love for more people to do is um, what Ruth King and others, of course, call the meta meditation. And it's a meditation of compassion for others and for the self. So the uh, meta meditation starts out with um, wishing uh, peace. And uh, you say, essentially, may you know peace, may you be well. You know, it starts usually with a breathing exercise to put yourself in a calm place. You may do this by walking, you may do it by sitting quietly. And I do it by uh, sitting quietly usually. And I put my hands over my heart and I say to myself, you know, Mary Angela, may you be well, may you know peace. And then I direct the meditation to my partner, right? So a beloved person in my life. And then the next, you kind of go out in the circle, uh, maybe to the neighbors or people I work with, people I don't know very well. They're not necessarily close to, but that third round is of a meta meditation kind of type takes me beyond that immediate beloved circle. And then to those with whom I struggle. And for me, that's usually people in my family. Um, people in my family that, that we have difficult relationships and I, I wish them peace and I wish that they be well. And then to all sentient beings, right? So I start with the self, the beloved other, the sort of others to whom I'm not closely connected, those with whom I may have difficulty, and then all sentient beings. And um, I may say something like, may you know peace, may you be well. But I would encourage you to look at Ruth King's work. She does a beautiful job of describing the meta meditation and the way in which it can really uh, bring you peace. But it also is, you know, very much an energetic practice of changing the direction of your energy towards yourself and towards others. And this is where I always have to quote Jack Kornfield, who says about compassion, you know, compassion that does not include the self is incomplete. 
And this is something that I've heard over and over again from clients as we talk about self-compassion. What they often finally say to me is, look, I think as long as I'm nice to other people, it doesn't matter how I treat myself. But this is where everything comes full circle. We may believe that, and it may even be the case that we're pretty nice to other people, but it doesn't necessarily come from a particularly nice place, right? I may be uh, nice to other people because I think it they won't judge me badly if I'm nice to them. I may think that being nice to other people on some level, I like doing it, but it's also a little bit motivated by a feeling of superiority, of putting myself above others' judgments. Um, it can be a, a tool and an implement of control, um, both for myself and the other. And when I ask people to think about themselves and to direct compassion towards themselves, almost everyone I talk to, oh, I can, I, this is, most of my conversations are on the phone, but I, I swear to you, I can feel them squirming on the other end of the phone. The idea of directing compassion towards ourselves is so foreign to us. It makes us often so uncomfortable. But of course, it's that emotion. It's that feeling right there that says, that's like a flashing red light. When I am that uncomfortable with something like directing compassion towards myself, wow, that's a place where I need to work. That's where I need to bring some real attention to myself. You know, if I think about my example of my client who worried about her boss. You know, part of the story she was telling herself when she was judging her boss was also a self-judgment of she was judging herself for judging her boss for one thing, right? She was in kind of a whirl. And bringing more compassion for herself into her own life um, and into her own thinking was really powerful in letting down her guard a little bit, being less judgmental towards her boss, but also less judgmental towards herself so that she was more open to whoever this person was presenting herself to her uh, right in front of her. And that's really important. Um, I also think in this realm of kind of getting a hold of judgment, um, when we notice ourselves doing it, I think there are two questions that Byron Katie asks in her work. Uh, she wrote a terrific book called um, Loving What Is. And she says, you know, when we notice those stories, you can ask yourself, what's this first, what's the story I'm telling myself? And then second, who would I be without that thought or without that story? So everything in this situation is exactly the same, but I'm not telling myself that familiar story of judgment, of control, of fighting reality. What would that mean? What would my life be like if I could do that? So, you know, when I talk about these things, I think it, I worry that it always sounds kind of simple, you know, just do it. But if you'll remember what I said early on, um, I've read a lot of these books. Heck, I did life coach training. I have a PhD in communication studies and I taught interpersonal communication for years. And yet, I have not lived happily ever after, although I live pretty happily now because I am less fueled by and frightened by the judgments that and the habit of judgment that I had for so many years. I'm more aware that control is an illusion and I'm a little better about not fighting reality. But there's a quote from a woman on Twitter named, um, her account is called I am Kira J. And I just love this because I think it's so important to remember when we are trying to make change in our lives. She wrote, you all be beating yourself up about the mistakes you've made in the past as if you've been here twice or something. This is your first time living this life. Give yourself some grace as you've learned to navigate through it. You don't know what you don't know till you know better. You don't know what you don't know till you know better. 
you know, Buddhism teaches that we all experience suffering. And part of that is, I think that, you know, in this, this Kira Joy's, Jay's point, point we, we don't, we aren't blank slates, right? We have the values and expectations of family and culture imprinted on us long before most of us seek to wake ourselves up to the truth of reality. When most of us come to these teachings, we've already learned judgment and control and to fear acceptance. So, you know, in my work, I try to help people on their mindfulness journey to bring their attention and awareness to the present moment without judgment. And the value of mindfulness is that it brings greater internal peace. And this is what the Dalai Lama said about that, that I think is so helpful. Peace in the world depends on peace within. And if we can have that, we can approach problems in a spirit of compassion, dialogue, and respect for the rights of others. And that's always a better solution than resorting to a use of force and weapons. External disarmament depends on inner disarmament. And in the course of our daily lives, those of us who don't actually use literal weapons, but judgment is a weapon. The desire to control is a weapon. Uh, the, Willingness to fight reality at every step is a weapon, and they're weapons that we use on others and that we turn on ourselves. So that disarmament, that inner peace is really essential to, uh, to waking up and uh, to being at peace with ourselves and with others. If you'd like to learn more about my work as a life coach and a communication coach, you can contact me through my website, which is mcguirelifecoach.com, or you can email me at maryangelamcguire at gmail.com. The first conversation is always free, and we'll talk about what you'd like to achieve through coaching. I'll describe the inquiry method that I use with clients, and we'll have a short session so that you can determine if working with me will serve your needs. So visit my website. It's maryangela, it's mcguirelifecoach.com, or just email me at uh, maryangela mcguire uh, at gmail.com and if you're seeing this on facebook live you can also go to mcguire life coach which is my uh, business facebook page so i really appreciate you joining me today i'm so grateful to dr pat for giving me the opportunity to guest host for her i wish her well i know she'll be back soon and then everyone's looking forward to that and i hope you'll join me on thursday at noon uh, pacific time and three o'clock eastern time on my podcast nothing but now um, until then thanks and have a great day